Alright everybody, welcome back to Didactic Mind. This is episode 54, Death Before Dishonor. A very warm welcome as always to all of my long-time readers and subscribers, and my SoundCloud subscribers if you have not subscribed already. Please make sure you hit the subscribe button. As always, make sure you like, uh, like share, and subscribe. And uh, check out the site at uh, didacticmind.com. There will be links in the description box. If you have not signed up for my email list, please make sure you do. There will be a link in the description box for um, <clears throat> this podcast, as always. And uh, if you want to um, check out the uh, latest offerings from Didactic Mind itself, well, uh, there is now a Support the War College uh, link up on the site. There is also going to be a subscribe star page going up very soon. Uh, it's almost ready. Uh, I still have to figure out what the tiers will be, but you know, it'll be a pretty affordable subscription. I mean, basically for the price of a cup of coffee every month, um, you'll be able to support my efforts and uh, make sure that uh, I have impetus and sort of uh, incentive to pursue some of the projects which I'm pursuing, um, some of which are quite time-consuming, actually. Uh, a couple of them are involve writing at, at length and believe me it's not easy to find that motivation uh, particularly when you're constantly surrounded by distractions um, and you're dealing with a lot of just very negative uh, external influences uh, particularly you know with respect to politics as well of course and that's kind of the reason behind this week's episode is to perhaps analyze a bit the disaster that took place uh, this Tuesday. And that's what it was. There's no sugarcoating this. It was a disaster. Not in the way that most people think it was, but not um, not in... It, the, the nothing really good came out of it either. So uh, let's back up a bit and look at what everybody was predicting on both sides of the aisle <clears throat> going into November 3rd. The Democrats, the Democrats as I call them, uh, and their, uh, their stooges uh, in the, in the never-to-be-sufficiently-cursed uh, prostitute and hornalist classes among the media uh, were predicting a blue wave, you know, just a, a massive shockwave of, um, of Democrat victories up and down. Now, they were going to extend their majority in the House, they were going to recapture the Senate, they were going to take the White House. Um, that hasn't happened. For the Democrats, this election has been a quiet disaster. And they're not willing to admit it in public, but that's the truth. Um, the audio leaks from their caucus uh, conference call, like post-mortem election conference call, made it very clear. A number of Democrats lost seats. They were moderate Democrats, actually. They lost seats to, um, again, moderate Republicans in certain swing vote districts. The Republicans look like they're on course to pick up 10 seats and may pick up as many as 25. Um, that depends on how all the vote totals shake out. Now, that doesn't mean that they get the House back. Uh, right now, what is the results? Stop. Decision HQ decisiondeskhq.com. Um, if you look at the actual results from the elections, um, 
neither party is really in a particularly strong position. The Democrats do have uh, 216 seats. Uh, the Republicans have gained a net four seats thus far. However, not all the results are fully in. We're still um, waiting for a few results to come in from, uh, you know, like there's one massive district in Arizona. Uh, there's one in Louisiana. There's a couple in New York. Uh, which have yet to come in. There are some you know, swing vote districts in Iowa and uh, elsewhere. So, you know, if you look at the electoral district for the House races, what you're seeing is uh, not a good result for the Democrats at all. And they know this, or at least some of them know this. Uh, one, of their, um, one, of their, one of their people basically said on the conference call, uh, do not mention the word socialism ever again. Do not talk about defunding the police ever again. If we run on the same platform in 2022 that we ran on in 2020, we are going to get effing murdered. It's more or less what she said. And um, she's right. Now, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the civil war on the Democrat left because the Democrats have basically moved left and lefter. Um, and that's that's what you're looking at in terms of factional power struggles. You're dealing with a party that has completely gone off the rails. Uh, all of their moderate candidates are being shouted down by an extremist wing of the party that uh, is all about identity politics. And if you look at the Democrat base these days, it is comprised of people who absolutely hate each other. Um, it's basically comprised of rich, white, suburban liberals, very, very big business tycoon types, um, most of them. Uh, third world imports who have come in, and many of them are, you know, of a mixed bag themselves. You have the um, the academic set who have been imported from overseas. Many of them are Indians. Uh, th these are the high performing, high earning professors, doctors, engineers, lawyers, accountants, etc. They are very left leaning. Um, I I've seen many of them during my time in the states. Uh, they almost universally think like leftists. And it's very stupid of them. I, I don't quite understand why, because if you look at them in their native countries, they don't act like leftists. They act like your typical um, rich snobs. They basically view... They have a very stratified view of society. There's, there's their set of people, there's everybody above them who they want to emulate, and then there's the great unwashed masses below them whom, with whom they don't want to have anything to do. They don't want to get involved with those people. They think that these people are beneath me. And that's their attitude. Uh, and they bring that attitude with them to America. But they act like, well, they, they are very leftist. And that is not, this is not a contradiction in terms. This is how leftists think. Leftists have a very stratified, uh, hierarchical view of society. Now, you have that set of basically, for lack of a, um, a better term, crazy rich Asians. Uh, you have Hispanics uh, who are essentially grievance-mongered into voting Democrat, but that's not universally true. There are plenty of working-class Hispanics who um, are sick and tired of the identity politics. And in fact, if you talk to Hispanics living in the southern states, they are deeply anti-illegal immigration. They're like, they're more anti-immigrant than whites, with good reason. Um, 
if you look at the rest of the Democrat Party, you're looking at blacks who vote in a monolithic block for the Democrats. Now, why do they do that? It used to be before the New Deal came along that blacks voted in a monolithic block for Republicans. Why? Because, of course, a Republican president uh, liberated the slaves. That's a myth, but it's got, you know, it's rooted in some truth. Um, the fact is, the fact is, the, Emancip the Emancipation Proclamation did not free a single slave. And if you believe it did, you need to do, you need to go read up on your history again. Did not free one single slave. What actually freed the slaves was the defeat of the South. Um, and even then, you know, obviously for decades afterwards, there was all this uh, Jim Crow nonsense, and the Republicans were the only people fighting back against that. Um, that's not to say Republicans liked blacks, but you know they were just more friendly towards blacks than Southern Democrats. So. Anyway, you have this weird mishmash of, again, rich white liberals, suburban types, um, Jews. There's no question that there's a very strong Jewish influence, secular Jewish influence in the Democrat Party. Uh, Hispanics, radical Hispanics, blacks, and Asians. And here's the funny thing. All of those groups absolutely hate each other. If it were not for the ideology of giving stuff away and taking other people's money and giving it to um, grievance groups on the basis of identity politics, these people would hate each other. And in fact, when you observe them without that overarching unifying theme of let's go get you know, middle-class whites, you very quickly realize that coalition doesn't work. It doesn't stick together. If you go to Los Angeles, for instance, in LA, there has been a race war brewing for 30 years, which nobody talks about, but it's right there. It's right under everybody's noses. It consists of Hispanic gangs uh, and black gangs brutally murdering and shooting each other in the streets. And that's been a problem for a, at least 30 years, probably more. Uh, Hispanics and blacks do not naturally like each other at all. Asians and blacks really don't like each other. Blacks can't stand whites in general. Um, blacks will not accept white society. They, they, have, they have fundamentally checked out of it as a, as a group, as a bloc. Um, the problem is that the Democrats have painted themselves into a corner. Uh, this ideology is winning in very specific parts of the country. If you look at the House map, for instance, if you look at the, the House election map, the, the, the distribution could not be more clear. Democrats dominate throughout the coasts and the urban centers. Republicans absolutely crush it in the heartlands. And the few Democrats that are in the heartlands are much more moderate Democrats. Um, there's a lot to be said about how silly it is that you know basically 500 and what is it 518 525 thereabouts uh, people get to make decisions for the rest of the country. It's a huge problem because uh, these districts are um, arranged according to population of the various states. So you know all of Montana has one candidate in the house. All of Wyoming has won. All of North Dakota, South Dakota, 
um, has one uh, congressional representative in the House. Um, and that is ridiculous. Uh, it, is, it is absurd that, you know, for instance, Nevada has only three and it's a giant state. Uh, these 500 and something people get to make up rules and, and laws that determine um, life and death for 330 odd million people. That's absurd. Uh, but it exists for a reason. And the, the fastest way to short circuit that is to return the Senate back to uh, the House of the States. Basically repeal the amendment that allows for direct election of senators that should never have been allowed in the first place. But anyway, the point is the Democrats have painted themselves very much into a corner from which they cannot escape anymore. And their grand predictions of a massive wipeout, and James Carville was saying this, he was saying it's going to be a great night for the Democrats. It wasn't. It was a terrible night for the Democrats. The Democrats expected to cement their lead in the House. They didn't. It looks like they, they may just lose it, actually. Um, the Republicans need to flip another 10 seats, maybe 15 seats, which seems to be within reasonable possibility right now. Um, and the Democrats are going to be in a very, very weak position. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, uh, you know, the skeleton witch, basically, may well face a challenge for House leadership from her own party. She'll win it because, you know, being as evil as she is and as nasty and as uh, connected as she is, I have no doubt she'll win it. But, you know, the fact is she's going to be weakened, which is good. Uh, they were supposed to get the Senate back. They didn't do that. Mitch McConnell is definitively staying on as Senate leader. I think the Republicans lost one seat in the House, uh, in the, excuse me, in the Senate. Um, and they, I think they gained back one of the seats that they lost. Um, yeah, they, they, uh, they gained back that seat from uh, Roy Moore. Um, well, sorry, Doug Jones. What's his name? Yeah, Doug Jones uh, won his Senate race. Uh, sorry, lost his Senate race. I don't know what I'm talking about. Doug Jones lost his Senate race against Tommy Tuberville in, Louis in Alabama. Now, that is that, that uh, interesting case where Jeff Sessions' Senate seat um, it was one of the early disasters of the Trump presidency. He lost that seat, uh, or the Republicans lost that seat, because um, Trump was talked into backing an establishment character who lost really badly to a populist character named Roy Moore. Then the media succeeded in destroying Roy Moore's image with some, let's face facts, not very um, pleasant facts from his past, where he was you know, involved with... Uh, what we would now consider underage girls. Uh, he was dating them, but um, that being said, you know, he's never been accused of any kind of misconduct since. Uh, he's just an upstanding guy, but based on what happened in the 1970s, obviously he was ruled out of uh, any kind of political office today. So it's absurd, but that's, those are the rules we live under now, apparently. Um, the Democrats have, have failed uh, to achieve their goals. Now let's turn to the presidential election, and here is where the true disaster takes place for both sides. There is no other way to look at what happened on Tuesday night as anything other than a an utter disaster. Um, but not quite in the way that most people think. I'm not calling it a disaster because Donald Trump quote-unquote lost. He didn't lose. Let's be very clear about this. 
Donald Trump has not yet lost the election. The media wants you to believe he's lost the election. The Associated Press came out with um, a, a byline or basically called the race for Joe Biden, uh, sleepy, creepy, corrupt, slow Joe, uh, as I call him, and said that uh, Joe Biden has now reached the 270 electoral votes necessary to become president. Well, how did, how did they come to that conclusion? By basically saying that um, he's ahead in Pennsylvania based on the vote counts, and he's ahead in Arizona, he's ahead in Nevada, um, he's, ahead, he's, he's already taken w Michigan and Wisconsin, so based on that, he is president. He's ahead in Georgia. He's ahead in uh, North Carolina, supposedly. Um, I don't think he is, though. I don't know about North Carolina. Let me check that. Um, no, he's not ahead in North Carolina. He is ahead, supposedly, in Georgia. Um, by 10,000 votes in Georgia, by the way. And in North Carolina, Trump is still uh, ahead by a bit. But basically... Uh, the media reckons that because Joe Biden is ahead by about 30,000 votes in Nevada and uh, Arizona is still too close to call, but Joe Biden's leading there, and because he's taken Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, he is therefore president. Um, no, he's not. They've called Pennsylvania for him as well. No, he's not president. Why is that? Because the official vote counts have not been tallied up yet. This is not a case, let me be very clear about this, this is not a case of uh, an unambiguous victory. This is not what happened. In Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, we have seen voter fraud on a level never before witnessed in the American Republic. Um, and I don't care if the media refuses to report this. I, I have had to endure listening to the BBC pronounce this as if Joe Biden has won and Trump is now just being a sore loser and refusing to accept facts. The media is refusing to report blatant election fraud that is happening right in front of their eyes. This is why I am no longer being hyperbolic when I say that media types should be lined up and tried for treason. I mean, that's about as gentle as I get. In reality, I think they once they're found guilty, I mean, they basically, there should be military tribunals uh, arranged for media types at this point. Anybody who works for, you know, in, in a reporting role for ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, um, many of the mainstream newspapers, the Washington, the, the Washington Post, the Washington Compost, uh, the New York Slimes, um, all of these dishrags that uh, are out there right now, all of them should be put on trial for what they've done. What we have witnessed in the last six months or so, especially in the last month, is an organized cover-up on the part of the political establishment, the media, and big tech. It is utterly appalling and horrifying what has happened. There is substantial evidence, and we have it in the form of a laptop, which Hunter Biden very stupidly, drunkenly dropped off, at a repair shop and never came back to collect, which has very, very damaging, incriminating evidence showing clear links between his shady business deals with oligarchs overseas and his dad. There's no question, based on testimony from his former business partner, who has no reason to lie, he has no, uh, there's nothing in it for him. Tony Bobulinski uh, is in jail 
and is serving time for his own part in malfeasance and corruption. Um, you know, if you look at his record, what, what happened to Tony Bobolinsky? Take a look. Uh, Tony Bobolinsky is, yeah, he's the former business partner of Hunter Biden. And uh, he says, you know, this guy is, uh, he, he was, he had served time in prison. Um, and let's see. Yeah, he became an, uh, he, he is involved in legal battles right now. Um, what else? He's, you know, served honorably in the Navy. Uh, I think he was arrested at some point, and, uh, yeah, he was, he's just, I mean, this is not a, this is not a Boy Scout, not exactly, I mean, he, he served honorably, but he was caught out doing some shady stuff. He has no, he has no reason to benefit from this, and he's the one saying Joe Biden is the big guy in these emails. There's more on that laptop, which apparently the media just refuses to release, like, very explicit, uh, images and videos of a sexual nature involving Hunter Biden with apparently what is a minor. I don't know. I haven't seen the videos and I don't want to see them. Um, that is supposed to be the media's job to investigate this stuff and look at it. But what happened when the New York Post broke the news? You know, Facebook, Twitter, Google all suppressed it. They all censored it. Facebook refused to run, you know, basically um, suspended uh, Twitter. Twitter suspended the New York Post's account. Facebook deliberately stopped allowing you to see those links. Um, Google deliberately started blocking search results or demoting search results or changing search results using their supposedly neutral algorithm. There's nothing neutral about it. These people need to be held accountable for what they've done, and they will be eventually. They're, they, they are going to pay a price for what they've done. There's no question. You can't get away with lying like that forever. Um, eventually, they will pay a very, very terrible price. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, we're going to really enjoy watching them uh, getting hoisted by their own petards. But right now, what's happening is unquestionably media malfeasance and corruption of the highest order. That's just on the media side. For the last two and a half, three years, we have been hearing constantly, consistently, that Donald Trump... The God Emperor of Mankind is a paid Russian agent. Um, an enormous amount of resources, time, and effort was spent investigating whether or not the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. No evidence of any kind was ever found. Despite multiple subpoenas, despite the Mueller investigation greatly exceeding its authority, despite massive abuses of, of power and overreach, uh, the Mueller investigation couldn't find anything because there wasn't anything. Meanwhile, what actually happened? Well, it just so happened that whatever Russian collusion there was, was between the Clinton campaign and not the Russians, actually, but some sketchy outfit in Ukraine. There was actual collusion going on. It was all on the Democrat side, but the media refused to cover that. Why did they refuse to cover it? Because they were covering for their chosen candidate. They were covering for a, a woman that I consider to be profoundly evil. I mean, there's something about Hillary Clinton which unsettles me deeply. She is, as far as I can tell, she is the living embodiment of pure satanic evil. She, she genuinely scares me. I mean, 
much more than you know horror movies do even like looking at hillary clinton's face is and listening to her voice is downright terrifying there's something very very wrong about that woman um on top of all of this malfeasance with respect to kind of just doing some due diligence about Joe Biden and his shady business dealings. I mean, it's not even open to question that there's something corrupt about the guy. He is on camera saying that he got a, uh, a Ukrainian inspector fired uh, in exchange for a billion dollars in aid to the Ukrainian government. Why did he get that guy fired? Because apparently the, the, the inspector was corrupt. No, he wasn't. The guy who followed him was corrupt. The guy who followed him had absolutely no legal experience whatsoever. And the guy who followed him ended up being uh, indicted on corruption charges himself. So, you know, at every step, the, ex the explanations don't make sense. The man has not been held accountable. He's been credibly accused, Joe Biden has been credibly accused of uh, sexual harassment and um, uh, even assault by multiple women, credible witnesses. This is not like the, the, the Kavanaugh case uh, or the situation with uh, the God Emperor where women keep coming up and saying, well, he touched me inappropriately or he made me feel bad. He said mean things about me. Um, and the moment you actually subject their cases to any kind of scrutiny, it all falls apart. It's not like that. These are situations where women who have nothing to lose or have nothing to gain, rather, and everything to lose are coming forward and saying, this guy did these bad things to me. It was back then. I tried to file a police report. I tried to get some attention. Uh, I tried to get some you know, attention put on this case. I tried to have somebody look into it, and nobody would do it. Nobody would look into it. Nobody would try to help me. That's the kind of case, the situation we're looking at. These are not good people. These are profoundly evil people. Then you look at what happened on the election itself, on, the, on election night itself. That's after you, you go through all of the corruption and the stench of sulfur that's surrounding the Biden family, the, the, the Democrat campaign, everything. There's so much evil there, it's not even funny. And the media refuses to cover it. It's, it's, it's so infuriating. It, it, is it is absolutely outrageous what they're doing. But this is exactly why I keep saying, I mean, I keep coming back to this. I keep saying this is why the media types need to be tried for treason, because that's what they are. These are traitorous, treasonous, lying scumbags who need to be held accountable for what they've done. And in a fair world, they would be. They would be subject not to civilian justice, but to military tribunals where the laws about, um, uh, you know, how you can present facts and information and uh, what you can get away with and what uh, what what tactics you can use in in order to weasel out of the law are very different um, military tribunals work very differently and uh, you know a lot of people would say that's a fascist tactic well yes it is um, to hold show trials yes it is a fascist tactic never forget though the fascists are of the left not the right um, and in all honesty, at this point, I'm really just done with trying to pretend to be fair and balanced. I've just had enough. Uh, I have no interest whatsoever in media claims of objectivity. I have no interest in pretending that these people have anything uh, worthwhile 
in them. I have no interest in believing that these people are redeemable. Um, if they repent, if they say, hey, I'm sorry, um, I messed up, I, uh, I regret telling lies like this, I am willing to walk away from everything I did, and I'm willing to recant and, uh, and you know, repent, great. Uh, Cheryl Atkinson from CBS did that uh, over the Obama administration's mishandling of the whole Benghazi crisis. But she was like, these people are covering stuff up, and she walked away from it. And she, she walked away from the media, uh, the the mainstream media, and she was absolutely savaged for it. She was called a, a stooge and, and you know just a, a a traitor and all sorts of horrible, horrible things for betraying the the the, the code of omerta around um, uh, that the media surrounds itself with. Glenn Greenwald, you know, it's, I mean, Glenn Gre Glenn Greenwald's uh, entire lifestyle is anathema to me. The guy is a gay, uh, a flamboyant homosexual, well not flamboyant, but he's a homosexual living in Brazil, quote-unquote married to another man. He's not married, he's just living with another man uh, down in Brazil. He is very much a man of the left, but he has integrity and I respect that about him. I have great respect for Glenn Greenwald precisely because the man has integrity and he's willing to, like he walked away from The Intercept. Uh, a, a media establishment that he co-founded. Now, the way he co-founded it, the, the way he, the, the way the Intercept was founded, is a bit sketchy. Basically, some billionaire, reclusive billionaire from somewhere, pledged like two hundred fifty million dollars or something to the Intercept just to set it up and bankroll it. And the head editor of it makes something like four hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Like, what? I mean, you're making that much money doing what? And your media establishment, what are you producing of value? And meanwhile, this is the same media establishment that absolutely adamantly refuses to run Glenn Greenwald's own articles um, about the Hunter Biden story. So he quit The, the Intercept and uh, published it on his own website uh, in final or in, in draft form. And it was picked up and republished um, at, uh, by the Daily Mail and uh, subsequently picked up, I think, uh, at the Uns Review, Ron Uns did an interesting piece about it where he was like, you know, Glenn Greenwald's, uh, is a brave man, but uh, he should have done this a long time ago. It was something along those lines. Um, the real tragedy around the election, you know, quite aside from all of this corruption and, and nastiness leading up to it, has to be with respect to the electoral process itself. Make no mistake, Joe Biden has not won anything. He did not win Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona through legal means. That did not happen. The evidence surrounding this is overwhelming. Now, liberals will argue that not you know there's no one piece of evidence that like prove that it's a corrupt election. What's well, the yeah, okay, fine. If you see a whole bunch of red flags piled up in a corner, or, you know, piled up in, in, in one place, or if you see a whole bunch of statistically impossible or highly improbable things happening all at once, and all of the directional momentum of those statistically impossible events is in one direction, then you're probably looking at, it's virtually certain, in fact, that you're looking at corruption and malfeasance by one political party for one particular end.
Well, let's let's count it up. In uh, specific counties in Wisconsin, you had voter turnout that was 5.5 standard deviations away from the mean. You know, average voter turnout for the last what 40 years thereabouts. Okay, a 5.5 standard deviation event is statistically impossible. It's essentially the next number away from zero. Um, you have repeated reports of counties where more than with with like 200% voter turnout in Milwaukee in Wisconsin like how does that make sense well you know liberals will say well that just means that there were a lot of late voters who registered on the day okay fine I'll grant you that I'll grant you that a whole bunch of late voters came in and you know never registered before and said we'll register on election day itself okay fine that I'll grant you but a 200% voter turnout really seriously we're getting reports of ballots coming in from people who are 118 years old. We're getting reports of ballots coming in from people who don't even exist. They, they, their, their existence in that district cannot be confirmed. We're getting reports coming in of dead people on the ballots. We're getting reports coming in of ballots that cannot be verified or traced back. GOP observers were ejected from the polling booths, from the counting stations, by others, you know, by, by uh, the people doing the vote counting. Blatant electoral fraud took place in voting stations uh, in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, where signs were hung outside the polling stations telling people who to vote for. That is illegal. That is outright electioneering. That is wrong. But we're told, no, no, nothing's wrong, nothing's happening. You can go to um, uh, Larry Correa's uh, website, monsterhunternation.com, and there's a very entertaining article that he wrote up where he basically counted off all the, all the, the, the red flags that are piling up. He's got, uh, he's got enormous amounts of data, and uh, just because he's trained as a forensic accountant, he understands what red flags look like and how to spot them, and if there's lots of them piling up in one place, like, dude, you got a huge problem here. Um, let's just run through a few of them. The massive turnout alone in sp certain counties, like 90 plus percent turnout in specific counties in specific states, that's a huge red flag. That's third world dictatorship levels of turnout. That's like basically the, the, the kind of turnout that you'd expect for uh, the people of Belarus voting for Lukashenko, okay? That's the kind of turnout that you would expect for an African tin pot dictatorship, where 90% of the people say, oh, we want that guy. You know, like 95% of Iraqis voted for Saddam Hussein in the last election, or 93% voted for Colonel Gaddafi back when those two were alive. Right? That alone is a huge red flag, and he's right. Uh, what about the ratios of these late ballots, which were suddenly discovered all over the states? All of them, virtually all of them, are for Biden. Is that statistically likely? Is that, I mean, can you really tell me with a straight face that 95 to 98% of the, the, the mail-in ballots which were just found magically in the post offices or in the back rooms or whatever, uh, were all for Biden? Seriously? In places, in, in states like Michigan and Wisconsin, which are home to blue-collar, hard-working American families and townships, the, which have benefited the most from Donald Trump's policies, they absolutely love him in Michigan. The blue-collar vote base in Michigan is extremely strongly pro-Trump. 
just as it is in Pennsylvania, just as it is in Virginia, just as it is in West Virginia and North Carolina and North Dakota. These people love him because he is promising to give them hope and jobs and prosperity. And he's delivered, in fact. So you're seriously telling me that in those same states, all of a sudden, all these mail-in ballots from the very same districts that Trump uh, is most beloved, is that they're all somehow turning up, all pointing in one direction? You're seriously telling me that in places like Philadelphia and Detroit, which are notoriously corrupt and notorious for vote-rigging and electioneering, that nothing is wrong, nothing, nothing bad happened, that Philadelphia isn't rigging the vote somehow? Really? In Pennsylvania, the electoral law uh, written by the Assembly states very clearly that uh, ballots received after 8 p.m. cannot be counted toward the election result. And yet, the Pennsylvania vote counters are counting ballots received after 8 p.m. They just found a whole bunch of ballots like over a million mail-in ballots, which they're counting. No, they can't do that. They, that's the law. They can't do that. Um, you've got a USPS whistleblower uh, reporting to the Inspector General that they were ordered to backdate ballots to the day before. That's a huge red flag. Then Project Veritas tried to call up the uh, USPS worker's superior. You know what happened? That guy, or whoever that person was, simply hung up the phone, like refused to talk about it. Why is that? Didn't even answer the phone, just hung up immediately. Why? Because they've got something to hide. Not because, they didn't, they didn't issue a denial, they didn't try to issue any answers, they didn't try to ex offer an explanation, just hung up. Um, there are videos of 2 a.m. deliveries of what appear to be boxes of ballots with no chain of custody uh, or other observers right before this late-night miracle spike in blue votes that is, you know, you can actually observe the number of votes for Trump and Biden. There's a, there's a couple of graphics out there which show these curves of the total vote tallies for Trump and Biden. And then right around like 11 p.m. or something like that, in certain counties in Wisconsin and Michigan, there's this huge blue spike. The, the numbers jump for Biden, and he suddenly overtakes Trump. How statistically likely is that? It's just, it just goes on and on and on, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, the, the left wants you to believe that there's nothing wrong, that nothing happened, that the election is completely fair and completely transparent. It's that bullshit. This is, this is a third world banana republic level of an election. Um, the mail-in ballots were always a bad idea. Uh... Donald Trump was absolutely right to say this is a terrible idea, and he was pilloried for it. I mean, he was told, you're being anti-democratic, you're a fascist. I mean, the media types always think he's a fascist. Um, and this has turned out to be the saddest, most corrupt election, I think, ever in American history. I don't think we've ever seen anything worse than this, certainly not on this scale. Um, and the result is that no matter who wins, everybody loses. Now, I expect that Donald Trump will fight this all the way to the Supreme Court, and he's already being told by the Republicans, who have no balls, no spine, um, to give up and quit. And I think every Republican who says that uh, should be arrested and, you know, locked, in, locked up in a jail cell, um, preferably flogged uh, for cowardice. 
Because this is not how you win. This is not how you fight. These people are dishonorable in the extreme. They, they should never be allowed to hold electoral office again because of what they've said. They are betraying their own party. They're betraying their own people. These people need to be told very clearly, get with the program, protect your president, protect your nation. Because the radical left is doing everything it can to destroy that same nation, those same people. The God Emperor appears to be willing to stand his ground and fight. Now that's very good. That's a wonderful thing. But it may not be enough. You see, Donald Trump is at, at his core a negotiator. He is not a warrior. I love the fact that he likes a good fight. I love the fact that he is willing to get in there and, you know, get down and dirty and brawl with people. But his first instinct is to negotiate a way out of a situation, not to actually go to war. And this is a situation where I think war is required. This is a situation similar to what Julius Caesar faced. As Vox Dei, you know, our, our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord, peace be unto him, Vox Dei, um, has said repeatedly, this is Trump's Rubicon moment. Back, um, back in the days, you know, 2050 year, 2060 years ago thereabouts, Julius Caesar faced a very, very difficult choice. Um, if he stayed outside Rome with his army, uh, the Senate would probably strip him of his power and uh, throw him in, in, in prison and uh, uh, try do their very best to nullify his power base because Caesar was immensely popular among uh, particularly the poor people of Rome. He was, he was a populist. Uh, he had... Uh, every intention of taking away things from the aristocratic elites and giving it back to the people of Rome. And uh, his, his bread laws, uh, no, not bread laws, his land laws, his, his land reforms, uh, subsequent land reforms were in immensely popular for this exact reason, because the Roman Republic had become so polarized between the massive underclass of sort of have-nots and the, um, the very, very wealthy but concentrated class of landed elites. And because of this, uh, a figure like Caesar came along to try to right the balance. And this is very similar to what you're dealing with with Trump. Trump is not Caesar, not exactly. He's not a military man. Um, he is a Caesar-like figure. And if you look at Roman history, there are actually three figures that, um, that follow this pattern of populism, uh, uh, of this, this, this eternal battle between the populists and the elites. Um, the first were the Gracchi, the, the Gracchi brothers, who tried to do something to right the balance, and they failed, and they were, um, I think they were either exiled or executed, I forget exactly which. Then there was the dictator Sulla, who was, you know, about a couple of decades before Caesar, did what Caesar did, but he died uh, before any serious uh, changes could be made. Um, and then Caesar himself came in and became dictator and emperor, uh, became the first ruler of the Roman Empire. Now, uh, Trump is facing that same moment where he has a terrible, terrible decision to make. Either he risks everything, you know, his future, his, 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 uh, his legacy, his safety, his 
uh, you know, just everything, his, his whole family, everything he's worked for on staying the course and fighting to the end. And he's, he's going to take tremendous body blows because of it. His reputation is going to take a huge hit because of this. Or he meekly submits and walks away and loses everything in the process anyway. The only question is, what's he going to do? Now, Jared Kushner, who uh, has been behind some of the most disastrous moments of the Trump presidency, is urging him to quit. Uh, again, I'm not joking when I say that Jared Kushner should be thrown in prison for doing exactly that. That's treason against his, his commander-in-chief. Um, many of the top generals in the military right now will probably side against Trump. He can only count on probably if you if you listen to my interview with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Kratman from a few weeks back, from about a month back actually, he and I d discussed exactly this point that uh, the rank and file love Trump because he Trump has refused to get involved in more foreign wars, and he's made it very clear that he wants to bring American troops back home, and he is doing that. He's doing exactly that right now, winding down American troop presence, refusing to risk more American lives on idiotic, vainglorious pursuits of empire, and insisting on rebuilding the military into an efficient, lethal machine. Um, I don't know about efficient. Uh, the American military is, in my opinion, a paper tiger at this point, uh, a, a ridiculously expensive paper tiger, but he's making the right noises, and he's doing the right things. So the question is, what's going to happen? And I do think Trump will get this before the Supreme Court. I do think that the SCOTUS will uh, side with him on a number of issues. I mean, this, uh, Justice Alito already has issued a ruling telling um, Pennsylvania to knock it off, basically, and separate out all the ballots uh, received after 8 p.m. from the ones before, and they must be kept secured, you know, safely locked away, and cannot be counted towards the existing vote totals. But it may not matter at that point, because the media gaslighting has been such that everybody thinks, or many people think, that Joe Biden won. And that is the true tragedy here. No one will ever trust an American presidential election ever again. Trump is probably the last Republican that we will ever see elected at this point, because the demographic shifts are so great, and the polarization in American society is so great. Joe Biden will probably prove to be an incredibly corrupt, incredibly incompetent leader. Uh, I have no doubt that plans are underway to shunt him aside. I mean, the thing is, I'm not as convinced about this as many on the right are. I'm not convinced that we're going to see a President Harris immediately, simply because this is Joe Biden's third, I think, attempt, maybe fourth, at achieving the presidency. And he's finally, he thinks he's achieved it. He hasn't. That will be determined down the line when all the vote counts are done, when all the lawsuits settle down. I mean, the lawsuits are going to get launched tomorrow. We know this. Um, the Trump administration has already filed lawsuits in Georgia. One of them got thrown out. Uh, I think he will appeal that decision and uh, it will go on to the higher courts. Uh, he's appealing. He's, he's going to be filing lawsuits in Wisconsin and Michigan, as he should, uh, to appeal the vote counting there because it's blatantly fraudulent. He's going to be appealing, or he's going to be filing lawsuits. He has filed, I think, in Pennsylvania. The Supreme Court is going to weigh in on that one. Um, and in the Supreme Court, at least there are now five 
genuinely decent conservative votes. Um, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are kind of iffy, but I think even Gorsuch is going to be, and even Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, I think, will be um, will be outraged by what they're seeing. Which you know, it's it's just it's just numbers. It's like basic statistics. If something is completely improbable, but based on the numbers and based on the data, then it's improbable. It's almost certainly impossible. You can't argue with that based on law. If the law says you've got to stop counting by this point in time, and people start continue counting after that, if the law says that you cannot block access to these polling stations and people block access, if the law says that people uh, cannot hang signs outside a polling station and people hang signs, then you've broken the law. The, question, the, the problem with that argument is, of course, that the law is not what a, legislator, uh, a legislature passes. The law is what some judge says it is. With respect to that, at least right now, there are five, well, four, we don't know about uh, the notorious ACB yet, uh, four justices on the court who obey that principle, that the law is what it says, what the legislature passes, and the job of the judiciary is to uphold or to validate that law. It is not to come up with new laws on their own. Um, you have Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, and you know from most conservative to least conservative as far as we can tell right now you have ACB who's an unknown quantity but it seems like she will she has her head screwed on right um, seems like she is uh, very much a strict constructionist and uh, originalist in the mold of Justice Scalia the, the late great deeply missed Justice Scalia um, the 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 wolf in judges robes is Chief Justice John Roberts. We know he hates Trump. We know he can't stand the man. He can't stand the God Emperor. So what's he going to do? We don't know. And we don't know if Gorsuch or Kavanaugh will stay. The, uh, will stick the course. Uh, Kavanaugh is, I think he's a bit gun-shy after the mauling that he was put through. And it's taken him a long time to recover from that, as, it, you, know, as you would expect. Uh, maybe he will try to avoid a controversial ruling in, you know, this is the most controversial of all possible situations. So, we're looking at four solid votes in favor of Trump, and one maybe, and one leading liberal, and then you have uh, Souter, Sotomayor, and uh, Kagan, you know, two of whom were affirmative action hires and are basically irrelevant. Uh, Souter is... Uh, um, Suter or Breyer? Uh, could be wrong about this. I don't pay much attention to the liberal wing. Um, but anyway, whichever's left after uh, Ruth Ginsburg's death. So that's what, that's what we're looking at. And yet, if this is decided by courts, and I expect it will be, and I expect that Trump will recover at least Pennsylvania, uh, possibly Michigan, possibly Arizona, that'll be enough to put him over the line. Um, because if he has North Carolina and Georgia... Uh, as well. I, I also expect him to recover Georgia. Uh, if that happens, then he'll have enough. He'll have the votes needed, and it, they will be legitimate votes, not press votes, not prostitute votes. Um, what happens then? Well, the simple answer is that nobody will ever trust the outcome of a presidential election ever again. Now, the thing is, this was very clearly fraud perpetrated by the Democrats to get their, their guy elected. There's no doubt about that. It's, it's, it's 
once you look at the evidence, it is unquestionable that there was fraud. It's simply not possible to ignore that. They took their shot at the king, and so far it appears as though they missed, because the king hasn't stepped down. The king hasn't, you know, collapsed and died. He's still there. He's still the king. He's still fighting. He's wounded. He's in pain. But he's still fighting. And the thing about taking a shot at the king is if you shoot at the king, you've got to kill him. If Donald Trump fights back, and I expect him to fight back, if he succeeds in overcoming all of the internal resistance, all of the, uh, the cucks who want him to sell out, all of the pathetic spineless weasels who want him to give up and you know, go quietly into the night, like his son-in-law, uh, who should be, you know, I mean, I, I would love to see Trump personally kick Kushner out of the office, like literally kick him out of the office with a swift boot up the ass. I would love to see that happen. Um, you know, it should be right there on national news headlines, like Trump literally shoves his boot up Kushner's ass and, and throws him out of the White House. That would be glorious. But... If that happens and Trump succeeds in getting his case before the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court sides with him and orders a full recount and, you know, minus the, the fraudulent ballots and, you know, how are you going to enforce that? The Supreme Court has absolutely no authority to enforce its rulings. That's a fact. I mean, most people think the Supreme Court is all-powerful. It's not. It has zero teeth. The only reason anybody pays attention to the Supreme Court is out of deep respect and reverence for what that body stands for. It'll have to be enforced, which means probably calling in the military, calling in the National Guard at minimum to observe uh, and secure the process. What happens then? This is the last time anybody can trust the outcome of a US presidential election. We'll never again be able to look upon that process with any sense of integrity or safety or comfort. Nobody will be able to take America seriously as a, uh, when, it, you know, when it talks about freedom and democracy, I mean, I don't take it seriously now. Um, Russians are looking at America and laughing at, at the country because this is so transparently ridiculous. This may well be the last time a Republican president gets elected because there is nobody else. The, the Republicans have nothing to fight along such dishonorable lines. They're not good at it. This isn't something that Republicans understand. This way of war is, is very weird to them. I'm not saying Republicans are angels, because they're not. Republicans are as corrupt as anybody else. But they don't fight like Democrats do. They don't, that's, not, that's not the Republican way of cheating. The Republican way of cheating is gerrymandering by re realigning districts and changing uh, district lines to be more favorable to them in, in house races. Um, but uh, that depends on the census, and that only happens once every 10 years. I mean, compared to that, you know, the Democrats are basically, basically the Democrats are showing up with freaking laser guided munitions and howitzers and artillery, and Republicans are showing up with. Um, flintlock pistols and uh, uh, and and fencing swords. It's, it's pathetic. They're going to get annihilated. Um, we will not see another candidate like Trump who has that same level of fight and same level of 
desire to brawl with his enemies. Uh, and in the end, we're going to see America break apart because there is no reconciliation possible now. Blue state America and red state America hate each other. And honestly, I mean, I'm with red state America on this subject. As far as I'm concerned, blue state America is... It's not even blue state America. It's really... If you look again at the electoral county maps, at the, at the county level maps, not the, um, not the state level map, but at the county level, the American population is deeply, deeply divided between the very, very liberal coasts and cities and the much more conservative heartlands, the suburbs, the rural areas. Um, Tom Kratman, Lieutenant Colonel Kratman and I discussed this at length many times over the last several years, and he said, and I agree with him about this, that somebody living in the suburbs of Boston, Massachusetts, like way outside of Boston, you know, an hour's drive away, has much more in common with somebody living in suburban, um, I don't know, Kentucky or Alabama, uh, than he does with somebody living in, um, in the city. And that's true. The city dwellers don't understand how vulnerable they are, but they hate the people that keep them alive. And sooner or later, those people are going to snap. They're already showing signs of snapping. There's, you're seeing reports every day of violent scuffles breaking out between Trump supporters, excuse me, MAGA types, and leftists. You know, the, the, the black looming menace and uh, Antifa uh, types. It's, it's turning very bloody. And it's not going to take much more for a shooting war to start. This is not like the war between the states where some reconciliation was still possible. It was still po possible to be polite between enemies. Um, people hate each other now. The politics are intensely personal at this point. It's tearing families apart. And that's not going to stop. This presidential election is going to make that trend even worse. Um, but really, all I can say is death before dishonor. President Trump, you've got to keep fighting. You've got to keep pushing forward, no matter what anybody does. Don't let the media gaslight you. Don't let anybody tell you that you're illegitimate. You didn't lose this vote. To my American friends who are listening, don't ever let anybody take this election away from you. You were winning legitimately. What you're seeing right now is fraud on a massive scale. You've got to fight back. You've got to donate to the president. You've got to stand with him. You've got to pray for him. You've got to, sh to start showing up in public, in rallies. You've got to come out of the shadows. You've got to stop hiding. You've got to gun up. You've got to get ready. You cannot stand idly by anymore. It's your country, and it's being stolen from you. So for God's sake, show up and stop fighting. That's uh, about it for this, this week's episode. Uh, we're about out of time. It's coming up on the one-hour mark. As always, um, once again, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the site as well. Uh, the email subscription link will be in the description box of this uh, podcast. And uh, please make sure to stop by and check out the site. Um, it's going through various iterations um, and evolutions. Uh, as I said, a subscribe star page will be up before long, and uh, that way you can fund these efforts directly, and uh, it'll cost you, you know, less than a cup of coffee a month, which is, I think, is a great deal. 
uh, given the, the, the level of output that I produce and the, the amount of quality that I produce. So, anyway, uh, this is Didactic Mind, or has been Didactic Mind, episode 54, Death Before Dishonor, and I am Didact, signing off.